Well, good morning, friends, and uh, welcome to St. Matthew's this morning. It's really good to see you all here. As uh, we turn to the scriptures today, we turn again to the first half of Matthew's gospel, uh, sorry, to Mark's gospel, where the question again and again is, who is Jesus? As we come to our first hymn this morning, the answer it gives is, Jesus is the true light, the only light. So in this hymn, we plead with God, come near us to pierce our gloom of sin and grief. Let's stand and we'll sing, Christ whose glory fills the skies. Please stand and sing. Please take your seats. Uh, welcome again to those of you who are in the building here this morning and also to those of you who are joining us online. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthew's and it's very good to have you with us today. Uh, we've just uh, sung, praying really, uh, for God to come to us to pierce uh, the, uh, the gloom of sin and grief. And uh, we're so looking forward to hearing the next stage of the story of the Lord Jesus from, from the Gospel of Mark, uh, a part of the Bible that answers the question, who is Jesus? And uh, in recent weeks, uh, we've heard uh, Jesus encountering people in great difficulty. Some of his disciples in the midst of a storm at sea, a man afflicted by demons, and today we watch Jesus as he encounters a man who, who is desperately wanting help with his daughter, who is very unwell, and a woman who is also desperately in need. Uh, she has problems that no doctor has been able to help with. And as we listen to 
to, to what Jesus did, it's worth asking not only what is he doing, but who is he? And it really is a great comfort as we come to understand him as the one who is in charge of all things, especially in a world today where there are desperate needs. Amongst the things that we'll be doing today, uh, we've devoted quite a bit of time to prayer. And uh, we'll be praying in particular for the people of the Ukraine. We'll also be praying for Val Wood, who is gravely ill in hospital. She had a major stroke earlier this week. We've also had a couple of other members of the church recently admitted to hospital. Uh, Richard Ty during the week and David Hazelden has been in hospital for some time. So we'll be praying for them as well. It is good to come together as God's people, isn't it? Knowing that he's there and that he cares for us. So let's come before him, firstly in a prayer of preparation for the rest of our time together, then in a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving, and then we'll hear and we'll read together from Psalm 19 in praise of our God. Let me lead us firstly. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And would you join me in this prayer of thanksgiving to God? Gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, for life and health and safety, for work, leisure to rest, and for all that is beautiful in creation and human life. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour, Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the gift of your Spirit, and for the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And Psalm 19 is a beautiful celebration of God's goodness in revealing himself to us. And it closes with a prayer that God will help us to take hold of all the things that he's given us in Christ. So please join me as we recite Psalm 19 together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Amen. Just before we go on to further prayers, I'll let you know about a couple of things that are happening around St Matthew's. Although firstly, I do want to add another word of welcome to you if it's your first time with us, either in the building or online. Uh, we love having guests, and I trust that, especially if you're in the building here, you've already been made to feel welcome. We're, we're glad to have you here. I'll let you know that straight after the service, we share in morning tea uh, across in the function room. Just head out through this door straight after the service. 
uh, past the playground equipment there to the, uh, the function room and we'd love to meet you further there. It'd be also good to know when you're ready to let us know that you've, you've been with us. It, it, come and say hello to me or to one of the welcomers. You could also use the, um, the QR code, our, our online welcome uh, card, uh, which will be particularly useful for you at home uh, to let us know that you've been here. Also to pass on any concerns you may have for your own welfare, uh, so that we, we might be aware of them, uh, as well as others uh, that you'd like to let us know about. Uh, this Friday at St Matthew's, I think it's the first time it's happened here for a while, but we're hosting uh, the local uh, World Day of Prayer. Uh, this is something uh, which churches right across the world uh, will be a part of on Friday, and other local churches will be involved. Uh, it's a day in which uh, prayer will be offered for the welfare of people right across the world and there'll be a special focus on the gospel going to the people of the United Kingdom uh, and uh, there'll be aspects of the service which reflect that in particular. We are hosting it and there is a little bit of help needed straight after the service so if you're able to help out in that way could you please let Deb Benstead know, actually turn around if you don't know, that Deb is right at the back there. Everybody knows Deb, okay, she's back there. Uh, Deb is uh, involved with organising that. That's 10 o'clock on Friday morning. Well, as I said, we'll continue in, in, in prayer and there are a whole lot of matters on our hearts. I'm gonna give you the opportunity just as, as uh, we begin to have a moment of silent prayer for matters that may be on your heart particularly. There may be people in difficulty, uh, other situations. Please pray silently and then I'll lead us in further prayer. God of the nations, whose sovereign rule brings justice and peace, have mercy on our broken and divided world. We're especially mindful of the warfare that's opened up in Ukraine in recent days. We pray that you would shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all and banish from them the spirit that makes for war, that all races and peoples may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your law. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And further, we pray for scripture teaching in local high schools. We thank you for the open door that we have into local schools, and we especially pray for the work being done through Anchor RE and for Susie McDonald and Kieran Kolbelke, uh, members of this church, as well as other teachers and helpers. We pray there would be strong interest and attendance at lunchtime groups so that many learn to trust and honour Jesus for the rest of their lives. And Lord, within our own church family here, we, we pray for growth groups as they're starting up again this year. We ask that your spirit would work powerfully through group members this year so that we're encouraged in our faith and active service of you in all of life. Give to those who lead energy and enthusiasm in their role, and we ask that members of groups are able to be consistent in attendance so that the body of Christ is strengthened here in Manly and beyond. Lord, as we dwell on you each day, and as we reflect on our many blessings, 
we ask for opportunities to share with others the life-saving, life-giving message of Jesus. We pray that this will happen with people we work alongside and people we meet in our daily activities. May our love and thankfulness overflow into our conversations and behaviours so that many hear news of you, a God who loves them and has his hands held out to them. And Father, there are, are people about whom we're deeply concerned and we especially pray for our sister Val Wood uh, following the serious stroke earlier this week. Uh, we thank you for those who care for her in the hospital. We thank you for a loving family and we pray that you'll strengthen John and Val's daughters and her son and other family members uh, for whom this is a very difficult time. Please strengthen them as they seek to uh, care for each other and to care for Val. And Lord, we also lift up before you Richard Ty, who was admitted to hospital late in the week, and for David Hazelton, who's been in hospital for some time. Father, we pray uh, for those who care for them medically. We thank you for such great medical systems in our country. And we pray that they'll apply great skill and care. We pray for your mercy on them. Amen. And would you join me as we pray together the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. As our musicians come forward, please join them as they lead us in singing uh, our next hymn, uh, which will be our collection hymn. Please stand and sing.
Our Bible reading this morning is from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. And um, if you're here in the church, it's on page 1006 in the church Bibles. So if you'd like to follow along. Um, remember, Jesus has just gone to the east side of the Sea of Galilee and he cast out um, demons from a man into pigs that went in and drowned in the Sea of Galilee and the people were not happy. They wanted Jesus out of the region. So we pick up Mark's account at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, that's the western side of the Sea of Galilee, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talatukum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. 
he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning, everyone. To those in the building, to those online, it's great to be here with you. My name is Nathan, if I haven't met before. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together again this morning under your word, and we pray, Lord, that you might feed us from it as we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do you go with interruptions, with being interrupted? This week, I was actually in the middle of writing this introduction when I got a call from my wife, Belle, and uh, one, of my, one of our boys actually just tested positive for COVID. That was a bit of an interruption. I had to leave work. We had to go and pick our other two boys up from school, and then we all got to go and have a PCR test. So my introduction about interruptions was itself interrupted. God's got to have a sense of humor, right? And if you're sitting there wondering how it is I'm here right now, well, the rat result that interrupted everything turned out to be a false positive. So there you go. But I wonder how, how do you deal with interruptions, whether they're COVID-related or otherwise? Are you good at rolling with them? Or do you find yourself easily frustrated? Because generally speaking, right, no one likes to have their plans frustrated, do they? But interruptions never seem to phase Jesus. There are actually a couple of them going on for him here in our passage today. And he's not worried at all. Which is a bit surprising, right, when you think about it. Because for a man on, on a mission, the kind of mission that Jesus was on, you'd think that he might get a little bit more rattled by disruptions. But he doesn't. In today's passage, Jesus returns to Galilee by boat, and basically as he comes ashore, the guy gets mobbed by a crowd. And whatever it was he was planning to do that day, we're not sure, but it gets interrupted by a man named Jairus. Jairus was like a big shot leader of the synagogue, and he pushes his way through the crowd, he falls at Jesus' feet, and he begs for his help. His 12-year-old daughter is deathly ill. She's in a critical condition. Verse 24, what happens? So Jesus went with him, we're told. It's so simple, right, that we might be tempted to kind of skip over it. But right there, in that moment, Jesus shelves whatever plans he might have had for that day. And there's no grumbling, there's no excuses, there's no kind of, oh, sorry, I don't have the time today. Jesus makes the time for Jairus. When Belle and I first got married, I remember one of the funny things I learned about her was that she has a strict no running in public policy. She was happy for me to run, but she refuses to run in public. Oh, it's starting to rain? No running. She'd rather get wet. You're about to miss the bus? No running. She's happy to walk. To this day, she refuses to run in public. The one exception? We're flying to Fiji in a little over a month. You better believe we're making that flight. Even if it means running in public, what a sight to behold that'll be. But when you look at the Gospels, I'm convinced Jesus had a no running in public policy as well. So maybe Bell's onto something. Because not once do you ever see Jesus running or rushing 
or even in a hurry. You ever notice that? Jesus never seems to be in a rush. Isn't that interesting? Recently heard of a book written back in the 70s called Three Mile an Hour God. Interesting title by Japanese theologian Kasuki Koyama. And he calls him the three mile an hour God because that's the speed at which we walk. And God's pace is just as slow and unhurried, he says. God walks because he is love. And because love is incompatible with hurry. There's some truth to that, isn't there? Love is compatible with hurry. I mean, for instance, have you ever noticed how difficult it is to listen well when you're in a rush? Like it's virtually impossible. Or how you're far less likely to notice what's going on for people around you when you're in a hurry. Or it's funny how much less loving and gracious I am behind a wheel when I'm running late. Is that true for you too? It's because love and hurry don't mix. I wonder if that's sometimes what our problem is. It's not that we, we don't want to love, it's that we're often too busy to love well. So many of us are living hurried lives and we exist in a world that, that values productivity and efficiency almost above anything else. And so without even realizing it, lots of us are probably operating without much margin in our lives. And without margin, we're actually not going to see the needs around us, let alone be able to respond to them in love. Without any margin in our lives, we'll see interruptions as frustrations rather than as opportunities to love. I liked uh, what the late author and theologian Eugene Peterson used to do when he was a lecturer at Bible college. He'd leave for class 15 to 20 minutes before the class actually started. And he did that because he wanted margin. Margin to accommodate the many interruptions that would beset him as he made his way to class. You see, as he walked across the campus, people would always want to stop and chat and pray. And he wanted to be able to stop and listen and engage with them without having to rush off. It's a simple thing, right? But I wonder whether you could do with building some margin into your life somewhere and what impact that might have on the way that you respond to interruption. Well, Jairus interrupting Jesus is the first in today's passage, but it's quickly followed up by a second interruption. In the crowd that was following Jesus that day, there was a woman. Mark tells us that she'd been suffering from a chronic illness for 12 years. And it was terrible on multiple fronts. There was obviously the physical suffering, but she'd also suffered financially, we're told, having spent every last cent on treatments that hadn't worked. Not to mention the social suffering she was encountering as well. See, her condition made her ceremonially unclean, according to Jewish law, which meant that she would not have been allowed to enter the temple, nor really to have any real contact with anyone for 12 years. I mean, can you imagine what that must have been like? Such is her desperation. Like Jairus, she comes to Jesus for healing. But unlike Jairus, instead of begging Jesus for help, she's convinced she's going to be healed simply by touching his cloak, which is what she does. You'll see there in verse 29. 
and immediately she is healed. It stops Jesus in his tracks. He actually goes on a search to find who it was that touched him. Now, this second interruption is similar to the first, but it's different in one really important way. You see, here we actually know what plans this woman is interrupting. We know, don't we? Jesus was on his way to healing a critically ill girl. Jairus is there leading Jesus to his home. You can only imagine how he must be feeling, right, as Jesus decides to stop. Like it's really kind of mind-boggling in a way. A bit like when Jesus decides to take a nap in the middle of a raging hurricane. Back then, the disciples were incensed at Jesus' decision to have a nap. Teacher, don't you care if we drown, they say. We looked at that two weeks ago. Here, no one's bold enough to rebuke Jesus in that kind of way, but surely Jairus would have been asking a similar question, right? Teacher, why have you stopped? Don't you care that my daughter is dying? I mean, I'd be asking that question if I was Jairus, wouldn't you? And then what about when the awful news arrived and Jairus' worst fears were realised? Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Time's run out. Jesus is too late. He'd taken too long. How do you think you'd be feeling if you were Jairus at that point? I'm neighbours with John Heyman. Some of you might know him. He works as a doctor in the emergency department over at RPA. And I asked him this week to run me through the triage process when someone comes into emergency. It's known as the Australian Triage Scale. And there's five levels of urgency that you could be classified as when you come, come in. A one is someone who requires immediate aggressive intervention. So like someone in cardiac arrest or someone who's in need of resuscitation, something like that. And you can see the further along you go in the scale, the lower the threat level to life and so the longer you can wait. Category five is described like this. The patient's condition is chronic or minor enough that symptoms will not be significantly affected if assessment and treatment are delayed up to two hours from arrival. So, looking at this passage, right, Jesus is completely mucked up on the triage scale. Like, completely. He decides to stop for the woman with a chronic disease. She's been suffering for 12 years, right? So what difference was another hour going to make? She's easily a Category 5. And yet Jesus chooses to stop for her before attending to Jairus' daughter, who's clearly up there in like a one or a two. And in the time Jesus takes with the chronic, the critical becomes fatal. I mean, that'd be considered gross malpractice in today's terms, wouldn't it? It's like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's a fascinating term in the story. <laughs> And it throws up some interesting things about, about the way we think about God and His timing. Like, it's interesting, we don't want a three-mile-an-hour God when it comes to Him answering our prayers, do we? We don't. We want Him to hurry when we've asked Him for something. 
I want him acting according to my timeline. I'm sure you've felt that before. I mean, we all do from time to time have felt that way. I'm sure there might be some here who are feeling that way right now. We get frustrated with God's timing and angry when it looks like he's moving too slow or when it looks like he might not even be moving at all. If you're feeling that frustration in life at the moment, know that you're not alone. We've all felt that way before. My cousin died in an avalanche when we were 21. You might have heard me tell this story before. But he'd just finished uni, gone to work in the ski fields in Canada, and one day while he was out, a freak avalanche was triggered on the run he was skiing on. Search and rescue found his body the next day. We were like brothers. It was, it was the worst moment in my life. For a long time after, I remember being angry at God. Why wasn't his timing better? He could have done something, but he didn't. He let Lee die. And it didn't, didn't make any sense to me. I wonder if Jairus was in that space too, when he got the news of his daughter's death. What are you doing, Jesus? Why didn't you care that my daughter was dying? And what does Jesus say to him? Well, take a look with me in verse 36. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Notice how similar that is to what Jesus tells the disciples after he's calmed the storm back in chapter 4. Why are you so afraid, he says to them? Do you still have no faith? So similar, isn't it? He's saying to both of them, to the disciples and to Jairus, you need to keep clinging to me. Even when you don't understand. Especially when you don't understand. Don't fear just keep clinging. You see, Jairus and his mates that day, they were actually missing a big piece of the picture. They didn't know who they were dealing with. Not really. No one there that day, not the crowd, not Jairus, not even the disciples. None of them knew that for Jesus, raising the dead was no problem at all. For him, it was actually as easy as rousing someone from sleep. Jesus knew it, but they didn't. And in the absence of their understanding, all they could do was just believe. Exactly as Jesus had said to them. Clinging to him was really the only option. And it's no different for us, really. When God's timing seems terrible to us, when, when he's moving at a pace that's not our choosing, or when he allows things to happen or not to happen, and it makes absolutely no sense to us, and we can't work out why, just like my cousin I still don't know why, but in those times, we need to do what Jesus tells Jairus to do. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And I know that that might sound trite when you're in the pain of the moment, but it really shouldn't surprise us that this is the answer. I mean, this is God we're talking about after all. We don't like his timing. Well, God sits outside of time. We can only see the right now of this moment, right? But God sees all the moments, doesn't he? All the moments. He knows all the implications. 
And what is impossibly complex and unknowable for us is actually simple and straightforward for him. I mean, that's, what, that's, that's part of what it means for him to be God. And we cannot put our trust in him without also putting our trust in his timing. Those two things go hand in hand. To trust him is actually to trust that he knows what he is doing, even when we don't, especially when we don't. Which, you know, let's be honest, is quite often. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Fortunately for Jairus, he only has to sit in this fear for a little while. Basically as long as it takes Jesus to get back to his house. Jesus enters, he takes the girl by the hand and he says to her, Talitha kum. It's a term of endearment, the kind of thing that a parent might actually say to wake a sleeping child. It's like, little one, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. And she does. Again, it is so simple, it's easy to miss But this right here has Jesus facing off against the greatest power that he's had to face yet. It doesn't look like it, but it's it's a far greater force than the furious squall on the Sea of Galilee. And it's a far greater force than the legion of demons in the man at the tombs. Because here, Jesus is staring down death itself, isn't he? And just like every other force that he has faced so far, there is no contest. There's no contest. You see, for Jesus, resurrection is as easy as waking someone from sleep. And the few who were there to witness it that day were completely astonished, Mark tells us. Completely astonished. No one was expecting this. You see, not even death can stand against this man. He can call the dead back to life as if they'd only been asleep. Now, it's interesting. You get to the end of the episode, a series of interruptions for Jesus. But if you look closely, you'll see that this is less a story about Jesus interrupted. It's more a story of the way that Jesus interrupts. You see, both Jairus and the bleeding woman, they think they're interrupting Jesus for something. When in fact, he ends up interrupting them for something far more than they bargained for. For instance, Jairus comes to Jesus and he's looking for a fever cure, isn't he? Instead, his daughter dies, with Jesus saying to him, don't fear, just believe. So Jairus actually gets a lesson in trust he never knew he needed. And rather than a fever cure, Jesus gives him a resurrection. He interrupts the natural order See, sick people sometimes get better. Dead people never come back to life. But that's not the case with Jesus. He's got the power to interrupt the natural order. And in doing so, he calls Jairus to have the kind of faith he didn't have yet. The synagogue leader, of all people, needed to learn what real trust looked like. It's similar with the bleeding woman as well. Like... Only instead of the natural order, Jesus goes and interrupts the social order. You see, this woman has no interest in being noticed. She wants the healing without the hubbub. And you can't really blame her. 
given that she was a woman and ceremonially unclean, if she'd actually been found to have touched Jesus, it would have invited enormous shame and dishonor upon her. So her plan is just to touch and then run. But Jesus interrupts her plans, doesn't he? He seeks her out and he makes her go public. And instead of abusing her like she was probably expecting, he applauds her for her faith. He doesn't just give her what she wanted, he gives her what she needed. He restores her social standing. This unnamed, unclean woman of low status, here Jesus accepts her and he gives her a name. Did you notice that? He calls her daughter. Daughter. She's restored in every sense. Not what she wanted, but what she needed. And Jairus, the wealthy, powerful, big-shot leader of the synagogue, Jesus makes him wait for her. He has to wait for her, for this woman. What a scandal. What a scandal. And as Jesus is telling Jairus to just believe, I wouldn't at all be surprised if he's pointing at the woman. Believe like her. Jesus is interrupting the natural and the social order because that's what he does. He interrupts. That's why he came, to disturb and disrupt this broken world of ours. He turns it upside down. I mean, his very first words recorded in the Gospel of Mark make this point abundantly clear. The time has come, he says. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. They're his first words in the Gospel of Mark. And it might not sound like it, but Jesus is announcing the biggest interruption of all time. The kingdom of God has come near. The interruption has begun. And that's what we see happening time and time and time again throughout, throughout his ministry. Whether it's through word or deed, everything about him is disruptive. Wherever he goes, we find him interrupting normal programming. He turns the world on its head. And his miracles, whether it's storm or spirit, death or disease, Jesus is interrupting the brokenness by putting some of the pieces of this fractured world back together again. That's what he's doing in our passage today. And as he does, he declares to everyone there who saw it, and he declares to us, and he declares to this world that the interruption has begun. The kingdom builder has begun the rebuild. Everything Jesus said and did as he walked among us was proclaiming this same promise. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It was true back then and it remains true today. And so it's a promise that really should interrupt our lives as well, shouldn't it? I wonder, has it interrupted yours? Sometimes worry about living in a place like Manly, which is kind of funny because there's not a whole lot for us to worry about here. But that's kind of my point, right? Life here is often so good, isn't it? Not always, but often. It's safe and reliable and stable and it's comfortable. I thank God every day for the blessings of getting to live in a place like this. And yet I also worry. What if this lifestyle, what if my wealth, what if my ambitions actually end up 
insulating me against God's interruptions? What if instead of gratefully receiving them, they become frustrations? It's like, you know, this is your spot in my life, God, just right here. Stay in your lane, thanks. As if it's God who needs to fit in with me. It's a bit like the rich young ruler, actually, if you recall that story. He interrupts Jesus, but in the end, it's Jesus interrupting him. And what does Jesus say? Sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, then come follow me. Like that's some interruption, right? But this, this rich young guy, he can't accept it, can he? Because his lifestyle and his wealth has insulated him. And so Jesus' interruption is just a sad frustration. He rejects it and ironically actually ends up far poorer for it. Friends, God doesn't offer to give us what we want. He offers to give us what we need. And that will always involve some kind of interruption. Just like with Jairus or with the bleeding woman, his interruptions will be, usually they'll be uncomfortable. But they'll always be for our good. Always. started by asking, how do you go with interruptions? Do you have the margin to respond in love the way that Jesus does? What about when it's God who's doing the interrupting? And what about when his timing doesn't quite match up with yours or doesn't make sense? Do you still cling to him in faith? Or are there areas in your life where you know they're yet to be interrupted? by the Lordship of Jesus. What are they? Are you ready for them to be interrupted, even if it makes you uncomfortable? How has God been un- interrupting you today? I'm going to leave that question up there for a moment for us to reflect on. I'm going to ask our singers to come up on stage. In a moment's time, I'm going to close in prayer. And then we're going to sing our final song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We uh, thank you for your son's interruption in our world. We thank you for what that means for us. And we just pray, Lord, that as we continue to reflect on this incredible interruption in your word this morning, that you might interrupt us all in the way that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing our final song. Love divine, all loves excelling.
Please take a seat. It's been great to come together as God's people this morning and to hear his word to us as we've followed the story of the Lord Jesus just a little bit further. As we've seen him dealing with what we might call interruptions, uh, we've learned so much about the way in which his coming to, into our world interrupts the normal way of seeing things. Who is this Jesus? Is he someone I can trust? That's one of the big questions that we've heard uh, this morning. And certainly he is, as we watch him dealing uh, with a, a poverty-stricken woman, a social outcast, as we see him dealing with a, a powerful religious man in his hour of need, uh, we see him as the one who has authority, loving authority over all things. I couldn't help but find myself contrasting the way that Jesus uses his power and authority with the way that people in power and authority in our world today often use theirs, especially as we consider what is happening in Ukraine, where there we have a world leader just grasping for more and more power. How good is it that there's someone who's in control of everything, in the person of Jesus, whom we can trust with our very lives? Let me uh, close with these words of encouragement before we head out to morning tea and the rest of the week. From Romans chapter 15 we read, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I reckon that's so good, we could say that together, couldn't we? Could we say that to one another? Would you join me as we read it? Remember, we're looking to help one another trust in God. Let's, let, let's say that together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as we trust in him, so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.